I'm Amy and you're listening to the Creativity I'm Amy and you're listening to the Creativity Matters podcast. Today on the Creativity Matters podcast, a story about rice pudding. Here we go. You're listening to the CMP, a Creativity Matters podcast. Stories of creative journey and a reminder that creativity matters in whatever form it takes for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Creativity Matters podcast. I'm Amy, and this is episode 388, Rice Pudding. And as you can see, I'm continuing with my very direct and to the point titles. No mystery there. It is exactly what it says it is. So timing is a little off. Definitely Things didn't quite go the way I laid them out to go, but we all have to just adapt and make do with whatever the circumstances are and however things unfold in these days. So I'm glad though to be here. I'm glad. Timing was off. I almost just pushed the whole thing off, but we know how that goes. Then it's days and days and days. So glad to go ahead and get this part done do my own checking in, touching base. So how are you? How are you? It really is the question, right? How are you? Maybe you are scared or stressed or anxious still. Maybe that happens in waves. Maybe you're bored and restless Maybe you're feeling confused or confined or just tired or tired of all of it. And maybe you're just fine. It goes without saying that these are weird days for all of us. These are weird days in some way. Even if things almost look exactly the same as usual, even if you are one to proclaim how totally fine you are, the days are still weird. Because not everyone else is acting totally fine. There's something inescapable in the cloud of this, and it affects us all. We are entering our sixth week of shelter in place in the next day or so. So in the U.S., we were right at the start of that. Part of me can't quite make sense of the fact that it's been six weeks six weeks? Already? Already. And yet we also have the sense that this lumbering on, this isn't new now. This is what it is. There's definitely that tension between the fact that it seems like it's gone really fast And on the other side, it seems like it is just going on and on and on. And somehow a full five weeks in, it's like we're waking up into what it means to be doing this. Like suddenly we're understanding how to do it. The novelty for those working at home has pretty much worn off. Doesn't seem like it should have been quite such a reality shift, but it clearly was. Gradually, all of this is becoming somehow routine, normal, in its own way. I have only gone out once in the last five weeks. 
one time. Squirrely. Squirrely. That's the word that popped into my head. Sort of all of a sudden, there it was, squirrely. That's what I thought as I thought about how I feel when I walk the dog, looking skeptically, suspiciously, assessingly, I don't know, somehow looking warily at people I pass. And of course, those people are all doing the same thing. You look ahead and you see someone coming and you nonchalantly cross the street, or you walk out into the middle of the street, which you can do now. Or you see people coming in both directions, and you just go ahead and you detour up the side street. The cross street of my street leads up to a major lookout point here in the city, and they closed the street early on to cars. But there has been a steady stream of walkers and bikers lifting their bikes over or around the barricade to ride or walk the curving road up to the top. I haven't walked it yet, but I feel the call to do so. There's something so crazily decadent about knowing that road is free and open to walkers right now, knowing that you could walk right up the center divide and not be run over from behind. You can walk right up the middle of the road. There's something lovely about that. There really is. That road might be just a little bit too full of nature for me to walk alone, but I feel like I want to take advantage of the chance to walk that road. Maybe I'll follow along behind others at some point and walk part of it. I don't feel like I need to walk all the way to the top, but I have this sense of opportunity that this closed road offers. I've been walking the other way. I go down to that point and then turn down and go down the other hill down the hill from the barricade to the bottom of the street, and then I walk back up. Even this is not a walk I would ever do in normal times. It is usually full of cars, cars lining both sides of the street and cars zipping down and up the street. But overall, there is this sense of walking in a void right now, in a vacuum. You can just walk down the middle of the road, and I just can't quite get past that. There's something really wonderful in that. This void and pause that we are all experiencing, the society on hold, and squirrely, yes, that's a little bit how I feel when I'm outside. There's also something so beautiful and free and inviting about the lower amount of traffic. At the end of this, people are still going to want more time and free time and vacation time and, ironically, probably time with their families. The altered parameters right now mean that even if you have those things, it doesn't necessarily feel quite like you imagined it would. It's not quite what you wanted. Sort of like when they tell you to be careful what you wish for, because if you didn't phrase it exactly right, you might get it and find out it was exactly not what you wanted at all. Maybe there's something to that right now. But there are silver linings and gifts in these days. It can just be very easy to overlook them as everything else looms and swirls and presses down around us. There are silver linings and there are gifts. So how are you? 
because I have to say, I'm not completely sure I'm okay. I think I'm losing some ground with myself. I am home in a house with four people, so I am not literally alone. And there are many people who are truly alone right now, and that is a heartbreaking reality. But even being here in a house with several people, there is a level of loneliness right now that is and can be overwhelming. I had been battling this well before the pandemic. That battle was a big part of this year. I am beyond aware of our lack of support if anything happens. And somehow in the midst of all that is happening now, it feels even more dangerous to me. And even more sad and even more empty. And it also feels incredibly futile. I had really hoped this year to really bring about some kind of miraculous change. I hoped to forge connections that would make a difference. But ultimately, I am right where I was. And in the middle of a pandemic, you really feel it. All of your what-if scenarios, you really feel it. Maybe I'm farther away than ever to any kind of change. And in that awareness, I feel myself slipping, letting go, giving up, feel more invisible than ever. And it is happening in all kinds of ways. And some days I am tempted just to close things up. But I have a little story to share. And that brings me back. There is going to be no magical lesson from this story. There is no magical lesson. But I can keep you company. I don't even want to listen to things where people have a magical lesson to offer me, really. I really don't. So today, I'll talk. I finished Midnight at the Blackbird Cafe, by the way. It is a book I mentioned recently in the show notes. And it's an easy read. It's not necessarily the kind of book you read, but it is a very easy read. It's a bit of magical fiction, a story of community and family and friendship, a cafe where the locals all go every morning for coffee, for breakfast, for pie. And right there, I can't even fathom managing it once a month, but these people go every day and it's charming. The whole community is charming. The stories are charming. The people are charming. A bit of magical realism is spot on. I love books like that. I love books about cafes or coffee shops or bookstores or yarn stores. Love all of that. So I just finished that book. And then when I went out last night for a final walk, a bird startled me as it darted out of the bush that I have to walk by to get to the sidewalk. A white crowned sparrow. Of course it was a white crowned sparrow. That's all I could think when I saw it and realized what it was. Of course it is. These birds have been with me for years, but not here, not in that bush, not really at my house, at the park, yes, on the side view mirror of my car outside the park, yes, and in Oregon, yes, those days when we used to have a vacation, like other people, 
Definitely the white crown sparrows were there. But now evidently they are in this bush at the front of the house next door. And I startled as it darted out and I spun around as we were walking to see it as we turned down the hill and it sat there right on the sidewalk, head cocked, just looking at me. It was, yeah, a little bit disconcerting. And then I could hear a call from down the street and this little bird answering. And seeing it and hearing that exchange, suddenly it all made sense. These little birds, such clear markings, black and white stripes on the head and the yellow bill. These birds have always been special to me, and these are the birds I've been hearing, and I didn't even really realize that there are other birds around here, but these birds do have a very specific sound. And when I saw it, I thought, that is, yeah, that's what I've been hearing. The bird watched me, unmoving, having just finished the book in which the blackbirds are indeed special and prescient. It was uncanny seeing this bird. And as we came back from our short walk, the bird was sitting in the middle of our narrow walkway, right in the middle, just sitting there. I had to shoo it away so we could walk by. So very strange. Now that story was simple. A bird startled me, then it sat and watched me, and when I returned, it was still sitting in my path. If it had a message for me, I don't know. But yes, I did get a very strong whiff of all those years past. To tell you about the bird seemed to require all of that. I saw a bird wouldn't be enough. I saw a white-crowned sparrow, definitely more specificity, but it doesn't capture the moment. It doesn't explain why it mattered, why it mattered what kind of bird, or why it mattered in that moment, or why it was odd. Context is everything. A bird startled me, and then it sat watching me as if it had something to say. I am shy. I am shy. <laughs> More than anything, I am shy. But when I start talking, I am full of words. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably a conundrum. I often find, though, that in trying to explain something, there are so many tangents that, to me, feel important that I end up writing a block of text if I'm writing or telling a quite long story, writing a block of text that no one will read or that might be misread or might just be ignored because it's not just a simple sentence. It's not just, I saw a bird. And I often think about all of these things as they relate to storytelling, to communication, to writing, to weaving a tail and spinning a yarn. I find these things fascinating. And I always find it so interesting that the simple sentence pared down to its essence is not enough. It's not enough to give us the nuanced, rich texture of story. And I was thinking about this this weekend, especially because I made rice pudding. So that's it. That's the too long didn't read or the too long don't want to listen. I made rice pudding and it was awful. And now you have a more complete story. But after I did it, I decided to record it. I needed to record it. It's part of my process right now. 
Because in this case, the story wasn't simply that I made rice pudding. There was a whole, whole lot more to it, and there were funny points along the way, and then the ultimate frustration of it. And as I started penciling in boxes, because of course, my instinct was to show this in comic panels, I quickly found that it was a far more intensive process than I expected. It wasn't a matter of three or six boxes. It wasn't a matter of a single page. It stretched two and then filled two pages in my big sketchbook. And even then, I wasn't getting all of the story in. I was still making decisions about the things that had to be left out. And as I looked at the pencil boxes, it was exhausting. All of that to show what amounts to... I made rice pudding. The boxes held so much more. I knew that. But it was also very puzzling why it takes all of that to say it. And I knew I was looking at a perfect and concrete example of the ways in which a simple recounting of a moment blossoms into this multi-headed beast when I tell it. And not everyone does that. And I'm not convinced everyone listens to it, or reads it, or cares. In a life being more and more streamlined in some ways, and at the same time bombarded in other ways, telling a story and capturing the bloom of it fully matters to me. I don't want to streamline that down to just a sentence. And at the same time, I realize somehow it's still just too much. Too much. Here's the rice pudding story, really pared down. Now remember, the very high level is I made rice pudding. Next level is I made rice pudding and it didn't turn out so good. But here's really everything in between. It all started about 10 months ago. I was making a list of things to do for my 50 before 50 list. And as I've talked about before, the list was a balance of things to do outside of the house, things to find and explore, discover, things really to move me outside of my norm, and then a few things to do, read, watch, and a very few things to eat or make to eat. It was balanced as well as I could balance it. And make rice pudding was on the list. It was on the list as something easy to do. Some of the things I knew would be harder for me to do or more challenging for whatever reason, something like make rice pudding was there because it was easy. First and foremost, I thought it was a good one as something I knew I could do, but also do deliberately in this context. Give it weight, make it symbolic, make it special. It also carries with it something whimsical, which is very important to me on this list, And it carries to several strands of memory. Rice pudding has a lot to do with something central to me, something core, something about me. So I put it on the list. It definitely fits in with the other things on the list and with the principle of the list, the premise of the list. At the same time, all along, it's been one of the things that I've been most tempted to drop from the list, to cut and replace with something else one of the things I've been most tempted to not do. Now, partly, there's real practical reason for that. Didn't make any sense to me to do a food, really, at this point. 
too many weight issues going on to make me think it necessary to make something so decadent and comfort food driven like rice pudding. But then the pandemic hit. Then the days are ticking away for the list. It's definitely in jeopardy. So as I evaluated what I can still do and what I can't do unless the city opens back up to some degree, one of the things I thought I can do this is make rice pudding. So I pulled up a few recipes and the first ones I looked at all called for brown sugar, which is a little odd because ultimately the other ones I found don't, but they called for brown sugar and it turned out I didn't have any brown sugar, didn't have any left. I had used the last little bit making cornbread one night to use up some expiring milk. And we didn't have any regular sugar. And we've had some issues getting food orders anyway. And I checked day after day for at least a week. And brown sugar was not available. And most of the time, neither was sugar. So I was railroaded a bit. And I kept thinking, oh, this is so frustrating. I can actually make this thing. It makes sense to make it and be able to check something off. But I can't get sugar. But then a bit of a convergence, the way things go, I ended up with brown sugar, white sugar, and even a stevia brown sugar blend. All my bases are covered now, and we will never use this much sugar. But I had what I needed then, and I was trying to sort out the rice pudding. Because I can check this off. And besides, it's on my original list, so that feels good. So finally, I'm ready. I'm going to do it. And I keep being told that the milk is going. So it makes sense. And I say, I'm going to use the milk. I'm going to make something with it. It's fine. So I call up a recipe. And I don't immediately find the same one I had looked at before. But this time I was looking more specifically for a recipe that would use arborio rice. Because once I decided to make rice pudding, I looked around and saw that I have had a big square container of aborio rice, up high on a shelf. That should have been a clue. It was up high on a shelf. I went through a risotto making spurt at one point, so it's a vestige of that. So I googled to see, first of all, can you make rice pudding with aborio rice? And yes, you can. And on the day I got ready to do so, I Googled again and I landed on a Martha Stewart recipe. I figured, okay, it's a Martha Stewart recipe for easy rice pudding. And it uses aborio rice, milk, and white sugar. All right, so I smell the milk. It's fine. I mean, it's, you know, iffy, but it's fine. I've personally eaten a lot of expired food during these weeks. The milk seems fine. I get the rice down. I checked the label. It expired in 2014. September 2014. Right. 2014. I unscrewed the lid and it's never even been opened. It still has this nice paper seal on it. So I'm still thinking this is going to work. So I pull that off and I take a sniff. This is not so good. But I'm not really sure. I'm not totally sure what dry rice smells like. So I Google, can rice go bad? I read some sources. I 
I know what I think it smells like. I'm like, I'm not totally sure here. Keeping in mind, this has been six years. So I take it in and have someone else smell. And that person also doesn't know for sure. But the general consensus is that it smells. And it smells like nuts. Nuts that you think are bad. <laughs> smells like nuts do when you think they've gone bad. So we go through this every time we decide to make a pie or something once a year out of the pecans that might be in the cabinet. So that's a smell I seem to know. Yeah, I think it's the smell of something being rancid. I didn't buy rice because I thought I had this whole container. So I thought I was all set. So back to square one. At least I thought. I also had to stop and think of the irony because when I was in line that day in the grocery six weeks ago, maybe seven, I was in front of the rice and the pasta, two things that were completely cleared out already. So I went looking around in the drawers and the cabinets just in case. And lo and behold, I turned up a bag of rice. Medium grain, perfect. Expired in February of this year. Even better, even better than 2014. I opened it up and I smelled it and... It definitely doesn't smell like the other one. So the other one was definitely bad. So since the rice is already expired and the milk is going, I think I'll make a double batch. Go ahead and use up as much of that milk as I can. Plus, I, the kids eat a lot. So I'm really making the rice because I need to make the rice. But if they happen to decide they like the rice pudding, then a double batch is smart. So I'll make a double batch. And everything seems to go okay. I follow the recipe. I finish it up. The directions are to put it in the fridge right away. And we don't have the right kind of container, of course. I find something that we'll just have to do, and I put it away. But I take a spoonful first to try it warm. I prefer it cold later after it's really gotten cold. But I wanted to see how sweet it was. So I take a bite, and it's a bit crunchy. <laughs> Darn, right? It's definitely not as fully cooked as it should be. But it'll be okay. I'm fine. So I go ahead and I put it away. I think I'll have it later. I'm all excited. It's a late night treat while watching TV. Definitely looking forward to it. Rice pudding is cozy. It's comfortable. It's sweet. It's decadent. It's a bit playful. It's whimsical. It's all of these things. Except when it isn't. When it isn't. I take the rice pudding out later. Take out the container and I open the lid up and I've basically got a brick of rice. And it was creamy going in. It looked fine when I put it into the container. And it is like a brick when I pull it back out. So... I use a spoon and I break a chunk of it off. You can't even tell that this stuff has been cooked with eight and a half cups of milk. Eight and a half, maybe a little more. So I add some more milk to the bowl and I stir it all up. And then I add some honey for good measure at this point because it's already got some problems. Now, I grew up eating leftover rice with milk and sugar. So I'm not opposed to this whole thing. But there is a carb-conscious part of me that's having a bit of heart failure here. I don't even drink regular milk. Not at this point. So 
I keep thinking of all the milk in that bowl. And it's definitely not like rice pudding. Such a bummer. My grandma ate it that way, though. She also liked rice pudding. So all these things are okay in my head somehow. And all I had to do to check this off my list was make rice pudding. And technically, I did that. It didn't turn out great, or awesome, or perfect, or cozy, or amazing. It's nothing to write home for, but I did it. I tried. Technically, technically, it's a check. It's not the first thing that has had to be technically a check. And you have to sort of grapple with that when you do a project like this. Something done. And it brings me to the halfway part, which is a little bit scary. To the halfway point with two months to go. I drew out as much of that as I could because there were funny parts. So I was drawing this out, trying to capture this story. There were funny parts. There were ironic parts. There were things that are rooted in memory, almost calling the whole thing off, and then it becoming one of the low-hanging fruit on the list, giving shelter-in-place limitations. It's a bizarre scenario right now, and then there being no brown sugar, and then the rice being expired, and then, of course, the whole flop of it. To me, all of that goes into the story of making rice pudding as part of my 50 before 50 list. And as part of these days during the coronavirus. Today, while I waited really to be able to sit here, I did go ahead and use some more of the milk that is going. And I did it again. I used a different recipe. And the technique is a bit different. I don't know that there's anything wrong with the other recipe. It might just be because I doubled it. I just don't know. I haven't put away the fresh batch yet. I'm hoping it doesn't become a brick, but right now it does look a lot better. In the pot it is still sitting in, it does look better. It looks the way it's supposed to look, but I don't know how it will be later. But I did try again. I feel kind of good about that, but I was really okay with just checking it off. But I was going to just have to throw that milk out by tomorrow. To balance it all out, I will say I did make soup yesterday. I have almost decided to scrap the soup for the year. I was really close to doing that. But I went ahead and made soup again yesterday. I used some odds and ends and maybe a bag of something else expired that I found in the freezer. I was skeptical about this soup. I told everyone else they didn't have to eat the soup. Plenty of other things. I had to eat the soup. I had to make the soup. I had to eat the soup. But they didn't. But it turned out really good. And I even heard someone say that it might be the best one yet. Which is pretty funny might be a stretch, but at least it helped take the sting out of yesterday's rice pudding. I've made some weird things in these days. Maybe you have too. I think people are taking some interesting and creative approaches to food, cooking, to all of it. I hope you're recording what you do, what you try, what works, how things go. I hope you're making a note. These days easily blend and bleed into one another right now. Sometimes being able to tell what you ate on a given day is the best and easiest way to know that that day happened and was different from all the others or from maybe just the one before. I often eat the same thing several days in a row, so your mileage is going to vary 
but it's still a way of tracking time. I am the art. The art is me. And that is it for today. That is it for this week and for episode 388. As I said, there was no magical lesson. No lesson indeed. Just some messed up rice pudding. Thank you to those of you who somehow nodded to the rainbow from last week's show. Thank you to Kristen and Julian and Opal and Gail and Cheryl. Such a simple thing to create and share a rainbow. Maybe put it in the window. Maybe join in with that movement. Such a simple thing. And I appreciate those of you who did. As always, I'm Amy. You can reach me at creativitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. The show notes are available on the creativitymatterspodcast.com website. The music I play is courtesy of Nikolai Heidlis. You can find me at Instagram as oamyoamy and at Patreon at patreon.com slash creativitymatters. Thank you to those of you who support the CMP there. Until next time, remember that creativity matters in whatever form it takes for you. And don't forget to breathe. Don't let go. Don't let go. Look for those silver linings. Make a note. Draw something. Have a good week, everyone.